0: Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fantasy for the Ages, the show where father and son sit down and talk about fantasy, sci-fi, and whatever other nerdiness we happen to be enjoying at the time. Today, we're here for another one of our Just Jim episodes as I'm talking more Dresden Files. Zach, not with me today because he hasn't read these, but very significantly, he has shared in one of our recent episodes that stormfront book one is right near the top of his tbr and i think once he reads it he's gonna get sucked in he'll be with us on his dresden files journey which is awesome no way he catches up before we get current with the series because there's only 17 books out so far i've reviewed the first 15 already today we're going to talk about something a little different And then we'll move on to 16 and 17. But he's still going to have a fun ride, and we wish him well. Today, I'm having a, a great day. This is just end of a work day after I've been traveling for a while. Goodness, over the last two weeks, I'd only been home one day. It's nice to be back in your own bed. And nice to be back in my regular setup for recording. You'll see some of our episodes that have dropped where I'm in hotel rooms in different places or even... Uh, at a friend's house, and recording in their setup. But something about being back in my own recording studio is really pleasant. So, continuing with my normal routines, I should tell you what I'm drinking today. Because in hotel rooms, I'm usually not. That's just not so much fun. But today I've got a nice red wine for us. I didn't create anything special, but I did open up a bottle, because again, two weeks on the road, I'm missing good wine. I keep good wine in my house. Not like $1,000 a bottle wine. That's just crazy talk. I'd drink it if someone gave it to me, but I'm not going to buy that stuff. But this is decent wine. This is called a Farmhands Red. It's an intentionally crafted red blend from Pomeroy Cellars in Yakult, Washington. It's about 20 minutes from my house. My wife and I have a membership there and can get the wine 35% cheaper than the other blokes. And it's worth every penny. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Of course, I shouldn't be drinking it if it's a bad one. <laughs> all right, what are we here to talk about then today? Before we continue on into books 16 and 17, Peace Talks, Battleground, it's time to step out and look at the short stories. I am not going to cover all of the short stories that exist in the Dresden Files universe, But I'm going to cover most of them, and really the key ones. There are two primary collections of Dresden File short stories, all written by Jim Butcher. They are in the books, (laughs) totally blank for a minute, (laughs) Side Jobs, Uh, Skin Game was coming to mind. I'm like, no, I already did that book. Okay, Side Jobs and Briefcases, and none of them are long, they're short stories, but they really do add real quality and specific pieces to the Dresden Files that if you haven't read them, if you kind of like, ah, the short stories, that's optional, I don't think I'm going to bother, you are missing out. These are not just add-ons. I consider the short stories essential reading. If you bop onto our Discord server, I share there a recommended reading order of the Dresden Files, and I think I actually linked to it in some of our previous reviews, of this series, where it kind of sticks the short stories in where they belong chronologically. And if you read that way, fitting these in amongst the novels as they truly fit in the narrative, it makes the reading so much richer. So before we finish with 16 and 17, we've really got to talk about these short stories. I'm not going to give you the entire story of each of these stories. Instead, I've decided to just focus on What's really essential that's added in each of these short stories to the Dresden Files? What are the key characters or key events or essential pieces of knowledge that are contributed by each one? As I created my notes, you know, some of them I maybe talk a little bit more about the story than otherwise. But really, I want you to go read these if you haven't yet. If you Like, you're watching this now and you haven't caught some of them. I'm not going to entirely spoil them this time, like I do with most of the reviews. But I'm going to give you some good nuggets of it. But really, I'm taking this as an opportunity simply to give you the pieces that you got to have to fully appreciate the Dresden Files that come from the short stories. That's what I'm doing for you today. I'll also do one other thing. I will give you my ranking rating. Uh, from top to bottom or bottom to top of each of the short stories in these collections. So first I'll talk about all the short stories and side jobs and then I'll put them in order of how much I like them. Starting at the bottom, working to the top. If you agree, you've read these and you have your thoughts on it too, I'd love to hear. So right here in the responses on YouTube or jump over to Twitter or Discord and share your thoughts. Tell me. Do you agree with the one I thought was the best or the one that I thought was the least best? Because there's no worst. I am not saying any are bad because that's not true. They're all great short stories. But some are better than others. So let me know your thoughts. Speaking of letting me know your thoughts, let the world know your thoughts. Go ahead and like this video. Or if you're listening to the podcast version, give us a star rating review it, put some information there so that people know, hey, fantasy for the ages are there and they're fun to listen to or watch. Subscribe to our content and we'd love you to just continue to know what we're putting out and have fun with us as we create content with you, sometimes just me, a lot of times with my son, and sometimes with some guests. All right, let's get down to the first of these. The first short story collection that came out was Side Jobs. Both of these short story collections include some original content as well as a number of stories that were found elsewhere originally and then collected and published in a volume. And that's where I go. There are additional short stories that are out there, too, that aren't in these volumes, but they're not as essential. Some of those can be found for free on Jim Butcher's Dresden Files website. So go look for them. Just some more fun. But inside jobs, what we have for you are 11 short stories. So let's just buzz through them. And after I've talked about each one, then I'll go back and tell you my rating of them. First story, Restoration of Faith. In this one, we get to see Harry Dresden working kind of like as an apprentice, but not magically. Not a magical apprentice. He'd already done that. He's working for a PI. Nick Christian, private investigator, because Harry's decided to go into the PI business, and in order to earn his PI license, he's got to work under someone else for a while, learn the trade, get enough hours in, then he qualifies for his license. So we meet this guy, Nick Christian. He'll come up again in the Dresden Files. This is where we first meet him. Also in this short story, we get to see on display Harry's innate drive to do what's right no matter the cost. That's important because this short story, again, takes place before book one, Stormfront. We're seeing from early on, as Harry's out there adulting, that uh, he he just really wants to do the right thing. He's a good guy, and he doesn't matter how much it might end up hurting him. He's still going to stick to his guns and do what's right. On the supernatural realm, we get introduced to trolls, so, because of this short, short story, we know trolls are part of the Dresden universe. This is also the first time Harry Dresden meets police officer Karen Murphy. Because there is an interaction that happens here. Things getting kind of out of control with trolls and a bridge and a potential kidnapping. And Murphy arrives to, you know, kind of in response to something's going on. And so... Karen and Harry, this is where they meet. This is where Murphy also discovers, oh, there's a supernatural world, what? Because this is before she's working for Special Investigations Unit. And we get to see a little bit about Murphy here too because rather than arresting Harry for some shenanigans that have gone on that are hard to explain, she accepts there's more going on here than I necessarily would normally understand and I don't think I can write this all in a report and just lets Harry go. The start of a beautiful relationship. All right, that was Restoration of Faith. Second short story, vignette. This one is not long at all, and it gives us another insight into the relationship between Harry and his sidekick. Now, you could say he's multiple sidekicks throughout the series, but this one is the one I most consider his true sidekick, Bob. You know, Bob the Skull, the spirit of intellect, who gives him... An encyclopedia of knowledge to tap into, who encourages him at some times, checks him at other times, and is just a pervert, much of the time. (laughs) Bob is one of the things that brings us laughs in the Dresden Files. But here we get to see Harry and Bob actually talking to each other early in Harry's attempt to get his private investigation business off the ground. So again, this is before Stormfront. When we meet a PI who's really barely scraping by, and this feeds into that because their conversation is how to list his wizard PI service in the Yellow Pages. You know, what kind of ad do you put out there to get people to come and hire a professional wizard as their investigator? And Bob's got ideas, and Harry's shooting most of them down, and there's just some fun back and forth between the two of them one key thing comes out of their conversation. We get to hear from Harry, his motivation. What's his driving purpose in actually being a PI who can help with magical circumstances? And simply, in his own words, because someone has to. No one has to. This is something Harry never really thinks about. Nobody has to help the muggles, the plain regular people, but Harry feels someone should, and he chooses to be that guy. Ah. All right. Third short story in Side Jobs is called Something Borrowed. This centers around the wedding of Georgia and Billy Borden, two of the alphas that we originally meet in Full Moon. It includes also the events of the bachelor's party leading up to their wedding at which Harry is um, attending. This story reinforces how Harry is a deeper part of the alpha's life than just when we will see them. More often than not, as the stories of the Dress and Files move along, you know, we, we just seem to come into this narrative when there's a, a big thing that's going to happen. And Harry, you know, is pulling in his friends to help with whatever the flavor of the day is that he's got to take on. And, and we see the alphas involved after book two rather frequently. But Harry isn't just a use them and ignore them kind of guy. The short story shows us that. He's deeply involved, he's built friendships, meaningful relationships, and in this case, he's involved in their wedding. It also highlights that Karen Murphy is interacting already also, in ways beyond just the job because she's a part of this story. She gets involved in some of the chaos that happens because it's not simply, oh, there's a bachelor's party and oh, then they get married. No, nothing can be that simple in the Dresden Files. We have a supernatural character, Jenny Greenteeth of the Winter Court, one of the Fae, who's the bad guy in this story. She had been introduced to us in the book Summer Night as a Maeve Sicklephant, And then her behavior In this short story is referenced later in the story in the novel Proven Guilty, which is the book that chronologically follows where this story specifically drops. So if you don't read this short story, you don't understand what they're referencing in Proven Guilty. It's a quick thing that's dropped there, but again, this fills in a piece. The next short story is called It's My Birthday Too. This one gives us a moment that, or gives us the moment, where Molly reveals to Harry that she's figured out Harry and Thomas Wraith are brothers. Because we see later in the novels, yeah, she knows that information, but in the core novels, you don't have the moment she, ding, figures it out. Well, this is it. I mean, she's already figured it out, but this is when she reveals to Harry, yeah, I know, you two, yeah, I figured this out, okay? It also shows us more abilities of black court vampires because there is a black court vampire who is the bad guy here in this story or bad gal because it's, it's one of the ladies. This particular woman is part of a crowd of vampire groupies, not real vampire groupies, wannabes, the ones who, and this is still kind of really a thing these days, people who will pretend to be vampires and have cosplay parties and such. And she was one of them who didn't really fit in with everybody. She was a little eccentric and weird and got made fun of a bit and ended up running off and uh, becoming a real vampire. And then comes back to the old gang. Hey, you know, and gonna have her revenge. This story introduces us to another one of the fey folk, the little wee creatures. These are called cobs. And uh, if you think of that, Cobs—it sounds similar to the word cobbler—and certainly in you know uh, folklore, we've got little elves that help cobblers with their shoes. Well, that's the cobs in the Dresden Files universe. They're in a shoe store, okay. But the key thing here that it introduces is that Harry has great rapport with the little fae folk. We already know that about Toot Toot and all those little pixies. Well, these cobs are also small little ones and. It's not just in this short story that, oh, Harry meets the Cobbs and has an interaction. No, we come in on an established relationship. Harry and the Cobbs know each other, and they play a, a key role in this story, partly because of the great rapport Harry has with them. Next story. I don't know how to pronounce. I've never listened to these. I've only read them. So, Hirot, H-E-O-R-O-T. What this one shows us is Mac of Mac's Pub. Mac... I can never pronounce that either McCannele's pub. The guy who makes the great beer for the bar that's neutral territory, according to the Uncelia Courts, where supernatural folk can meet and talk knowing no one's gonna rip your head off. Mac is famous for his brew, and in this short story, we get to see that not only does he make good good brew, he likes to prove it. Because this is based in a beer competition. He's taken his beer somewhere to be featured and, you know, compete with other beers to be judged. Now, that's just the backdrop of the story. There's a kidnapping involved. There's violence. There's supernatural stuff, as usual in this short story. This one particularly involves an adventure around a kidnapping that brings Harry together with Ms. Guard. Now, Guard is the one who we've seen previously working as muscle, as protection for Gentleman Johnny Marcone, the head mobster of Chicago. We've had hints about Guard before this short story chronologically that there's more to her than just a, a tough, badass woman and perhaps professional mercenary. This short story confirms, however, that she's an honest to goodness Valkyrie. Yes, of Norse mythology. She's a Valkyrie. Thus, we learn here, we get confirmation, she is immortal. Darn near impossible to kill. However, it is possible. It's just really hard. We get confirmation she's magical. And she does have the special Valkyrie ability to know when people are going to die. Now, not with absolute certainty. Basically, she can look and see someone is most likely to die. But it can change. We get to see that later in the series. But that if something doesn't suddenly change, oh, that person's about to die. Okay, that's what the Valkyrie can see. This short story is a great prelude to the book Small Favor. When we get much more of guard, and if you hadn't read the short story, you still figure stuff out in Small Favor, but it makes much more sense with this information here. Next short story is called Day Off. There really isn't much added to the Dresden Files in this story. It's just silly fun for the most part. Poor Harry literally tries to take a day off, but one thing after another comes along and Harry gets sucked into the concerns of needs of others because that's how Harry rolls. It emphasizes that Harry continually puts the needs of others ahead of his own. I mean, he wanted to just take a day off and rest before he's going to go do something great with a friend, with benefits. Literally, he has plans with Anastasio Lucio. And so this short story is also building on the fact that they are enjoying their relationship, their growing romantic relationship, which will come to a screeching halt in the next book in the series, Turncoat. So just gives us a little snapshot into that relationship, as well as their interactions, because we get to see Lucio get involved in the stuff that Harry is trying to help with when he was just trying to take a break. We also do get to see that it isn't just Harry's always putting others before himself. We get to see his friends do really appreciate him. They love Harry Dresden. That's why they go to the mat for him again and again, because of days like this where he just will do whatever they need. He's a good guy. Next story is called Backup. And this gives us a Thomas Wraith point of view. Almost everything we get in the Dresden Files is from Harry's POV. So this was cool. A rare treat to see inside the mind of someone else, and particularly a white court vampire, Thomas. Key elements introduced here in this story include the Oblivion War, the Venatori, and the Stygian Sisterhood. Basically, uh, we learn here there are old ones, an ancient race of demons or nasty gods or one and the same, who were somehow defeated and cast out of the world. They can't be destroyed. They're immortal. They're demonly godly. But they can lose their power by being forgotten. That's the key. They draw their strength from their worshipers, from those who honor and fear them. So the way to keep them powerless is to erase their memory from everyone else especially the mortal world okay we don't want humans going oh ah, or ah none of that make them forget them completely that's why it's called the oblivion war because the venatori are the good guys committed to keeping the knowledge of the old ones secret they've gone around erasing every link every reference and nuance about the old ones from existence and then keeping that knowledge unknown because there are others who would love to bring it back that's the for example the stygian sisterhood that's one such group there are more groups out there who would like for their own reasons and purposes maybe they just like chaos maybe they think it'll bring them power but there are others who would like to bring the old ones back the venatory work to stop all of them They are allies of the White Council of Wizards, and in fact, some wizards are Venatori. Some other non-humans are Venatori. We learn, for example, that Thomas serves as a Venatori, or part of the Venatori. They actually then are called a Venator. The group is the Venatori. Now, this is like a big thing, like bigger than the story we've been seeing laid out in the Dresden Files. It's mentioned here in this short story, and that's really indicative that this is going to have a role to play later in the books. And, you know, it's too much to just be thrown in in a short story, and that's all we're going to hear about it. So Oblivion War, Venatory, Stygian Sisterhood, you know, those second two, less important than the big understanding of the Oblivion War and the old ones. Okay, next short story, The Warrior. This introduces us to the Ordo Malleus, an order of the Catholic Church that is committed to the fight against some of the big bads of evil, like vampires, other monsters. It's an ancient, ancient group going back basically to the founding of the church. It also highlights that the church is not able to control everyone. Sometimes people go rogue. That's what we see in this short story. Somebody... uh, a member of the order, Ordo Malleus, who has exceeded his orders, thinking he is doing what needs to be done, despite the fact the official church um, didn't tell him to do what he's doing. So the church may have good motives, but it's put into place people and powers that can get out of control and do harm. That's what we see here. We've seen other examples. You know, the the church has the Knights of the Cross, you know, like Michael Carpenter, and they go out trying to stop the blackened denarians, you know, those people who've taken on those coins and accepted fallen angels, built partnerships with fallen angels. And when they stop one, they recapture these coins and turn them over to the church. And then next time you turn around, someone else has the coin again. You know, they keep getting back out into the wild that means there's some people in the church that are doing their own things for their own purposes. The Ordo part of this story, same sort of thing. We get a Uriel sighting in this story. Now Uriel is the archangel that is involved in a few different places in our book so far uh, with, in regards to the Knights of the Cross, but also directly with Harry. He's the one who lets Harry tap into soul fire. He's, has a specific intervention that leads to the story Ghost Story. Uriel's a a good guy, and we've seen him in a number of ways. In this story, he just shows up right at the end, and he gives us a reminder of the importance of free will to God. The good side, God's forces, refuse to control people like puppets. And thus, there's always a risk that things will turn to the bad, like this Ordo Malleus dude did in this story. But in the same way, because they're left to their own choices, there's always a chance people will turn to the good. And that's important. All right, the next story is called Last Call. This is another adventure involving Max Beer. This is a fun story. It starts with uh, chaos breaking out at McAnally's bar because somebody has magically tampered with some of Max Beer. And everybody that drinks it kind of goes into a, a rage and starts attacking each other and destroying things. Again, I'm not telling you the whole plots of stories, but we learn here that there's a particular creature who's got a bone to pick and decides to do it by tainting some of Mac's beer and seeing it distributed, of all places, at the United Center, where the Chicago Bulls play. And the arena's full, and they're going to soon be drinking Max beer and going crazy. It's going to be a riot. It's going to be mass cast. Harry and Murphy realize what's about to happen. They get to the United Center. They stop it. Along the way, in stopping it, Murphy falls under the spell of the Tainted Brute. And that's an adventure. (laughs) She becomes one of the bad guys then, and Harry has to try to stop her without hurting her. But of course, Harry does manage to save the day. Through this, we meet another of the types of fairy creatures, a mayonid. This particular one that was behind the the beer tainting was a maenad. All right, next story is called Love Hurts. People are falling in love in this story. They're falling in love so hard... It's driving them insane, and deaths are occurring. That's the initial setup of this short story. And it leads Karen Murphy, Officer Karen Murphy, to get Harry on the job. And his sleuthing leads them to the source of whatever is making people fall in love so deeply and so dangerously uh, to the Illinois State Fair down in the southern part of the state. Somebody is magically causing this. Harry and Carrie go to Carrie. Harry and Carrie, that was interesting. Harry and Karen go down and figure out where this is taking place. Along the way, they actually fall under the spell as well, briefly. It's pretty awesome actually. We see them share their true feelings for each other, which as we've been reading through these books where the sexual tension is there, but they're holding back all the time. And here they stop holding back a little bit and they say some real things to each other. And then they're like, wait, wait, wait a second. Why are we saying this? And their inhibitions, their self-restraint get pulled back in as they realize, okay, we would never say these things to each other. We're under the spell. <laughs> and They don't act on their feelings. They're able to, Course correct. Find out who's doing this. And it turns out that this magic is involved because of a red court vampire. It's actually a plot. I mean, why would the red court vampire care about people falling in love or make people fall in love? Well, this red court vampire has been doing that to try to get people to fall in true love. True love. To weaken the white court. If you remember, we've learned that true love is poisonous to the white court vampires. They feed off of lust, off of sex, off of those heated emotions. But true love is actually a protection from the white court. It'll burn for a white court vampire to try to feed on someone who is in, who is truly in love. So Red Court is trying to take these off the dinner plate from the white court. The red can still feed on people like that. They don't care about love at all, but it will weaken the white court if they have less of a crop. So it's an experiment that's been going on to try to get it right. And obviously it's been failing because people are (laughs) falling so hard in love, they're dying. Harry and Karen get to the bottom of this. They stop this red court vampire. But they also realize this red court vampire isn't a wizard doesn't have magical abilities. We've seen vampires with magical abilities before, but this one isn't. Instead, this vampire is making use of magic belts. There's a carnival ride that people are going on, and when they strap into the seats together, those belts are creating the feelings of love that bond them together. And Harry puts together the connection that these belts are similar to the wolf Belts We saw way back in Full Moon that FBI agents were using as magic to turn themselves into werewolves and uh, serve as vigilantes and dispensing kangaroo justice. So, hmm, okay, we're seeing more belts, more kinds of magic belts in this story. They burn the belts, by the way, and that does end the problem. End of story. All right, the last short story in this one is Aftermath. This one was original to Side Jobs, not published anywhere else first, and it's one of the stronger stories in the collection. In fact, I'll, I'll kick this off and say this is my number number one. Okay, I'll give the rest of the ratings in a moment, but since I'm here, this is my number one short story in the book. It shows how things go for Karen Murphy after Harry is shot, missing, presumed dead at the end of Changes which was a pretty strong and a shocking time for us in the Dresden file fan base. This side jobs came out shortly after the publication of changes. If I remember right, it's kind of how it fits in. It's not too long after that. So, you know, there's a big change, a big shift by the time we get to ghost story. How do they get there? well, This really lays the the foundation for how Karen Murphy gets involved as one of the new protectors of Chicago with Harry gone. That She steps in to fill the void. We get to see how she initially gets connected with many of the others who, when Harry comes back in Ghost Story, are part of her group of people all fighting together against the Fomor. And this group, the FOMOR, are initially introduced in this short story. It's their first appearance in the Dresden Files universe. Now, there's another short story in the next collection, briefcases written later that will end up being inserted before Aftermath that will have the first introduction of the FOMOR chronologically. But as these were written, this is the first time we hear about the FOMOR. Okay, those are the stories of side jobs. So how do I rate the rest? Well, I gave you the best, Aftermath. Um, so let me go from top to bottom instead this time. My second one is Love Hurts. That's ah, a great story. Really enjoyed it. And seeing Harry and Murphy, you know, share their true feelings. That was cool. Something Borrowed is number three. Uh, number four is Hirot. Uh Number five is Last Call. So my two beer stories are back to back, which is just pure coincidence. <laughs> number six, The Warrior. Uh, number seven is backup. Number eight is the first story, Restoration of Faith. Number nine is It's My Birthday Too. Number 10 is Day Off. And number 11 is the really short one, Vignette. Okay, that's our stories and side jobs. Let's move to the other one. Briefcases. This one has 12 stories in it. It's about the same size as the first collection. We start with A Fistful of Warlocks. Now, this story doesn't include Harry Dresden at all. Rather, it's a story set like 150 years earlier from Stormfront. And it does feature someone we know from those stories, Warden Anastasia Lucio. But this is before she is the head of the Wardens. This is when she's just a Warden earlier in her career as a Warden for the Wizards. And it's set an adventure in the American Wild Wild West. It includes teaming up, a team up between Lucio and Wyatt Earp. In this story, we learn Earp was a Venator, okay? One of the Venatori who were fighting the battle in the Oblivion War already to erase knowledge of the Old Ones. That would bring someone like Earp into confrontations with various supernatural players and wizards and such. So they're saying, Wyatt Earp was one of these more known, knowledgeable people. We get introduced in this one, the Thule Society, which was a real thing in history. A group that's all into black magic and the supernatural and the power they can get through it. And connected to the Thule Society are some necromancers. We meet necromancers, of course, in Deadbeat, and then they will play a part at various times through the stories. In this one, we get to meet a number of bad guys who are connected... As necromancers, and two of the most powerful involved get away in the story. By name, they are Gravain and Kemler. Both of those names we've heard. Uh, we've seen in Deadbeat Gravain's end. He's killed when he tries to use black magic to become a god, and it doesn't go so well thanks to Harry and his people. And Kemler is the one who was basically the necromancer, the best of all time, that inspired all the others but eventually did die. He also owned Bob for a while. So seeing them earlier on is kind of cool. Second story, B is for Bigfoot. Bigfoot. We get introduced to the Sasquatch as part of the Dresden Files universe in this short story. First one we meet is uh, Strength of a River in His Shoulders. What a name. He's one of the forest people. That's what the Sasquatch Bigfoot call themselves, the forest people. And we learned that they are ancient, very intelligent, and highly magical. But they also work very hard to keep a low profile, which is why people in general don't know about them. Just rumors, because they use their magic to stay hidden. They have names that are way too long, and Harry is not going to refer to this guy as, hey, strength of a river in his shoulders all the time when he's talking to him. So he abbreviates it to river shoulders. We learn that the forest people are naturally resistant to injury and illness and very long lived. It's not just that they're ancient as a race. They are ancient. They're not immortal, but they live extremely long lifespans. Also, we learn that they sometimes cross-breed. As the focus of this story is the son of River Shoulders, who looks human. Uh, River Shoulders fell in love with a human woman. The two of them are both in this story. And the boy is getting bullied at school. And <laughs> basically, they're hiring Harry to go in and try to help. That part of the narrative is kind of fun. The boy does not know. he His dad is a Sasquatch. And dad wants to keep it that way. So that's why he's not helping. He's hiring a wizard. A PI wizard, a unique guy who they think can help with this problem. Next story, AAAA wizardry, or A to the fourth power? Not really that much to this short story. Mostly, it shows Harry, as a warden, being involved in teaching younger wardens in training. But it does remind us of the dangers of -of out-of-control practitioners, and that even their thoughts can be dangerous to those around them. We definitely get to experience some of that elsewhere in the uh, Dresden Files stories. And here it's shown to us in this little short story. But not much to talk about in this one. Then we return to a Bigfoot story. I was a teenage Bigfoot. This is simply an additional engagement of Harry with River Shoulders. Seeing their relationship grow as they interact again. We also learn more about the experience of science. The offspring of a human and a non-human is called a scion. Chronologically in the series, B is for Bigfoot, is the first we see of a scion uh, through Irwin Pounder, that that son of the woman and a Bigfoot. And we're going to see him again in this story. We have further experience with scions in Summer Night, when we meet the crowd that had been friends of the previous Summer Night who was murdered, and that those friends were half-human, half-fae, and they're kind of just humans until they declare one side or the other. If they declare human, now they're human. And if they declare fey, they accept all their fey abilities and powers. Other scions that we do experience through the series are, uh, let's see, Lucius Glau in Proven Guilty. He's the son of a human and a jinn, so half-djinn. And Goodman Gray in the last book I reviewed, Skin Game. Who's the scion of a Nagaloshi, those really nasty shapeshifters, magical shapeshifters. So that's the biggest thing we get here, that we get to learn about science and and how having a parent who's human and a parent who's supernatural creates something new and that you have some different abilities and powers and perhaps challenges from that. All right. Next story. Curses. There's not much of significance in this tale, but it's a fun story. It's a specific tie-in to the Billy Goat curse of the Chicago Cubs. Now, as you're listening to this, that curse was something real that everybody, you know, actually kind of knew about. It was partly a joke, but going back for like a hundred years, the Chicago Cubs could not win the World Series, and it was believed it was tied to a goat and a curse. Well, here... In the Dresden Files, we learn it really is a curse. They were cursed by a goat. Okay, not really a goat. It was more of the faithful folk. This time, the Tillwith Teg and that the, the king of the with Teg had tried to sneak into a Cubs game, basically, as a goat. He liked the Cubs. He liked baseball. He got kicked out, and he cursed them. <laughs> and Harry's here to try to remove the curse, see what he can do. So just learning about another group of the Fae that Harry has had opportunity to be interacting with, Uh, Harry will later call on the Tilwith Teg during changes as one of the many groups he reaches out to, tapping into all his avenues to find out where his daughter Maggie is when she's gone missing and Harry's on the job. Next story is called Even Hand. This is another story that has no Harry Dresden. It's told from the unique perspective of Gentleman Johnny Marcone. We do not get much Marcone perspective at all in the Dresden Files. So it's pretty cool to get to see how he's looking at and thinking of things. The few things we pick up from this story in particular is reinforcing that Marcone has a thing about children. Kind of a soft spot. He does not want to see them come to harm. That plays out in this story. It again mentions the more that they are on the rise even before the events and changes that they were they were starting to be seen and known around and kind of prepping for then the opportunity that shows up when all the red court vampires disappear it also reinforces how intelligent marcone is as he discerns that the actions of this story really are manipulation of lara wraith the force behind the white court of vampires. He sees it. He allows himself to be used by her, but lets it be known at the end. Next time, do your own work. You know, I see what you did and kind of, you owe me now. So you can't play Marcone. He's too sharp. He's always going to catch it. The next short story is a third Bigfoot story. Awesome. It's kind of like Jim Butcher realized I'm doing all these stories with all these things from the supernatural, and how did I not think of Bigfoot? And he actually gives some notes in these stories about how he wrote each of the short stories. And he specifically says this. It was like a blind spot. And somebody else pointed it out to him at one point. He's like, yeah, I need to have Bigfoot in this universe somehow. So he makes up for it, and he has three stories in this short story collection. Now, the first of the Bigfoot stories had Irwin his son, in middle school, getting bullied, in part because he didn't have a father. River Shoulders had chosen to stay out of Irwin's life, thinking that would make it easier on the boy, but brought Harry in to help when Irwin was struggling. Likewise, River Shoulders had asked for Harry's help again in the second story, while Irwin was in high school because a teacher was magically taking advantage of Irwin and his scion magical life force. But again... River Shoulders staying in the background. Now, in this third story, Irwin is in college, and he's involved, like, you know, romantically involved, with a white court vampire, but one who doesn't know she's a vampire. We've learned that before. This is reinforcing the fact that children of the white court do not necessarily know they're vampires. They're just humans like anyone else. Until they are triggered, an event snaps them and basically gets their demon self to wake up and become a part of their lives. This vampire, Connie, is in a relationship with Erwin, and her dad would like her to come into her own. How that's done is typically they feed on someone, and it's their first time, so they can't control the, the demon when it awakes, and they kill the person whom they thought they were just, you know, in love with. It's always tragic how that happens. They're having this relationship with someone, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say it always, but this is how it can happen. And so she's in love with this guy. She doesn't know who she is, what she is. Her dad sets it up so that she will kill Irwin. Now, there's a complication here, a bit of a problem. And that is Irwin as a scion of a Bigfoot has this really robust life force. So he and Connie have been physical already, and Erwin's doing fine (laughs) because she's feeding on him. She doesn't know she's feeding on him. She just feels great when she's with him. And he's got enough robust life force that it's not causing a problem for him either. This is a perfect relationship, except Dad is looking at this going, she's not triggering. She's not turning into the vampire I need. So he comes in, he intercedes, he's going to set the stage, he's going to use some magic and I think some drugs and try to really get this over the top so she does kill Irwin. Harry's on the case, looking into what's going on here, gets in the way, stopping this white court dad from doing what he's going to do. But white court vampire, pretty powerful too. Harry actually gets River Shoulders involved this time. He needs him to intercede personally to stop all of this, which they do. Erwin is saved. Connie is saved. They're going to be fine now. The dad is dealt with. And Harry, he asks his payment this time that River Shoulders meet his son and acknowledge I'm your dad so they can, like, have that. Harry, of course, understands the impact of not having a father around. He had a great relationship with his dad but lost him. Uh, young of age Uh, he he would love to have had more time with his father so goodness this is important and it's kind of touching so that's the final of our bigfoot stories all right we have five more stories we're over halfway now bombshells is the next one this is a short story told from yet another person's point of view molly molly carpenter harry's apprentice and it's giving us insights on how things go for her after changes when Harry's out of the picture. We learn here how the Fomor are really up to no good and causing all sorts of difficulties. We're introduced to the Fomor servitors, who are humans who work for the Fomor. And we learn that Molly is in communication with the Lian and she, you know, Harry's fairy godmother. And that from her, before Harry shows up in Ghost Story, Molly has already learned that Harry may not actually be dead. Maybe just mostly dead. She would be the only one who has some inside information because of this short story. The next one, Cold Case, is another Molly POV. But further out in the Dresden Files universe, this one is called Cold Case. It takes place after Cold Days when Molly became the Winter Lady, became part of the Winter Court. And we see her getting on with one of those tasks where she's trying to make up for all the neglect the former Winter Lady, Maeve, had given to her duties. Because there is work that needs to be done by the Winter Court. So Molly is on assignment trying to collect tribute from a group of other entities, and while she's there, she comes into contact with Warden Ramirez of the White Court, uh, White Council of Wizards. And uh, they spend a little time together. They're both on related missions here. We get a little conversation between them where we learn, through what Ramirez shares, uh, some more information about the Old Ones and the Oblivion War. And the key thing we get this time is that the Outsiders are connected to the old ones. The outsiders are not old ones, but there is a connection. We also get to learn something more about Molly as the winter lady, and that's that she and Ramirez, both a couple of hot young things, kind of hit it off. There's some attraction. Molly, partly it's just winter, you know, and how how we, we know of what we've seen the winter mantle do to Harry, kind of gets Molly's libido up there too, or, however you refer to it. And uh, they actually kind of go to do it. And then Molly blacks out. And the next thing she knows, she's awake. And Ramirez is severely injured, like totally messed up. And she has no idea what's happened. And Mab shows up and explains, okay, you can't do that with people. (laughs) You are the winter lady, meaning you are a maiden. No sex for you. Okay, well, that sucks for Molly. Uh, the fact that she was she tried to with Ramirez, her winter mantle powers took over to prevent that from happening. So, wow. We will see later in the story of the Dresden Files, uh, Molly and Ramirez interacting again, and there's a coldness now. There's an issue between the two of them. And if you didn't read the short stories, you don't know really what happened, where they came from. This is what happened, this short story. Because he doesn't understand why she went all medieval on him. (sighs) Uh, Molly's work here in this story, this going and getting tribute, it was basically about recruiting more fighters to become Fae so that there are more Winter Court Fae to fight at the Outer Gates, that battle we've learned about against the Outsiders. And we're reminded that that's the primary job Mab, as the Queen of Winter, leads to keep the Outsiders out. Molly's a recruiter for the forces of the Winter Court. All right, next story. Jury duty. Not much to this story. It's pretty much how things would go for Harry if he had to deal with the mundanity that is ours in America being summoned for jury duty. Do your civic duty. You show up when your name comes up. Harry has to do the same thing. Although he does come to realize as he's actually placed on a jury and serving on jury duty that... The person who's at trial is innocent. He's There's magic involved. It's not what things seem to be. And Harry gets involved as an investigator then, kind of on his own, to get to the root of things. And he ends up getting involved to a degree that a tragedy of in- injustice does not occur. We also learn, one little tidbit here, that the judge in this particular trial, was aware of the magical side of Chicago. So there are more regular people out there who know the real way of things than one might necessarily realize. Next short story, day one. This is a Butters point of view, Waldo Butters, and it takes place after Skin Game when he has now become a Knight of the Cross. Remember with the sort of faith that has become a lightsaber in Butters' hand? So we get to see him... In kind of pretty much his first experience, on his own, fighting against the forces of evil and protecting the innocent. Uh, In this particular story, we come upon a baku, a Japanese supernatural creature that eats nightmares of children. Aw, that's a nice thing, right? Except in this story, the baku has become corrupted, basically broken. It can't get enough. Nightmares, so it's creating them. It's forcing not only children, but adults to have horrible dreams so it can feed more and it's driving people crazy. And Butters will deal with it. The last short story of this collection is another one that was completely original here, wasn't published anywhere else, Zoo Day. This story is just adorable. We get to see Harry and his daughter Maggie and Mouse all going out to spend the day at the zoo. This is the first time we get to see a real daddy-daughter moment, because, you know, Maggie, after after changes, when Harry had saved Maggie, he placed her into the hands of Father Forthill and the church to find a home for her where she'll be safe. And she ends up being placed in the Carpenter's house. Michael Carpenter, having retired at a night of, as a Knight of the Cross, and having as his retirement plan that he's got secret service protection of angels. Beautiful place for Maggie. And they have a wonderful house and great children. Michael and Charity raise her, uh, not pretending they're her parents. She knows Harry is her dad, but they love her as a child of their own. But this is a time where Harry's trying to spend some time with his daughter, trying to get to know her. This is after he's come back, of course, you know, and he's put his life back together and, and as they go out on this story, we get to see the story three times. The first time from Harry's point of view, the second time from Maggie's point of view, and the third time from Mouse's point of view. And there's stuff going around them in this story, supernaturally related, but all three of them are committed that this is going to be a beautiful day together and to not let anything ruin it. So when Harry has something come up and he really needs to help somebody who's in trouble, he does it and works really hard to do it in a way that Maggie won't see. Maggie won't be troubled. At the same time, Maggie is dealing with something supernatural. We learn that she is no ordinary child. She can see things. She perceives things. She has abilities that are beyond the norm. and Nobody really knows about this yet. This is where we get to learn about it. She knows her dad is trying to make it a really good day. So when she has stuff that comes up that she has to deal with, she also manages it in a way to keep her dad from seeing, uh, protecting him, keeping him sheltered. So it's a perfect day. And at the same time, you got Mouse, who's watching both Harry and Maggie trying to feel each other out and and enjoy time together. And he's like, why is this so hard? Just be good with each other. But there are dangers around, and there are things that Mouse is aware of, and he's their protector. So he also works to resolve the supernatural challenges around them without letting either of them see what's up. It's hilarious what they all deal with. It's insightful. It's heartwarming. It's precious. So here we go again. The last story is my number one in this book. Of these 12 stories, Zoo Day far and above, the best in the entire thing. How about the rest of them? Well, number two is Bigfoot on campus. Number three is I was a teenage Bigfoot. And number four is B for Bigfoot. The Bigfoot stories, just in, in level of significance to me, go backwards. And it's because they build on each other. So the third one is the best of them. But all three of those stories are awesome. I love the Bigfoot stories. Then we get to the rest of the stories, which are all great. Five is Cold Case. Six is Day One. Uh, for me, seven is, takes us all the way back to the first story A Fistful of Warlocks. Uh, eight is Curses, the Billy Goat and the Cubs. Nine is Even Hand, the Marcone story. Uh, number 10 is Bombshells. Uh, number 11 is AAAA Wizardry. And number 12 is Jury Duty. All right, there you go. Mostly just some key tidbits from each of these stories that's added into the Dresden files. I'd have no trouble rereading these stories. They were all a lot of fun. None of them are long. If you haven't read them, please go do it. You shouldn't have listened to this already if you haven't read them. But again, I didn't entirely spoil them. I just gave you some key little things and you can forget those easily enough and just go read the stories. If you have already read them, again, I'd love to know and put down in the, in the comments here, which ones did you like the most? Uh, are there things I missed of key elements introduced to the story from these that I didn't say anything about? Add, contribute your ideas here. Most of all, as you've read these stories, I hope you enjoyed them as much as I did. I hope you agree. They are just essential reading, not fluff. Not extra. Okay, one or two might be fluffy. But for the most part, these just really enrich your experience reading the Dresden Files, and I think are essential to understand before you move into Peace Talks and Battleground, books 16 and 17, which are the next ones I'm coming to. Uh, 16 will be coming out in a little while. I'll just do a regular review on it. It's a pretty significant story, so I haven't figured out exactly the angle I'll take on it. But I will tell you, for $17, i am going to bring the Fantasy Files back in to do that one with me as my guests. As long as we can coordinate our schedule. I've had them on before. Uh, Just Spencer for these. Maybe I can get both Spencer and Gabe this time. We'll see what works out. But there's a lot to talk about with Battleground, and it'll be good to have some friends on. That's where we're at, then, for today. So let me go ahead and run my outro. Boom. Again reminding you please 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 subscribe let us know what you think of the recording Uh, love to have you interact in other ways too. find us on twitter facebook instagram definitely on discord there's the link right there uh in the show notes referencing discord community of almost 100 people on there now that you can interact with just love fantasy and sci-fi just like you do just like i do we'd love to have you be a part of it Thanks for watching, listening, however you consume this. We'll talk to you next time.